so, um, you know, we're entering into the spirit of, or the time of Thanksgiving, uh, the period of Thanksgiving, getting ready for Thanksgiving holiday. Um, of course, people will be listening to this later, but that's basically this week as we're recording. Yeah. And uh, it's one of my favorite holidays of the mm-hmm. year. It always has been growing up. I've always just looked forward to delicious food, time with family, time for rest, time yes. for watching sports, um, something mm-hmm. we always did, mm-hmm. but normally football, but you know, the World Cup is on, which is yes. different that it's on, you know, this time of year. It's usually on in the summer. Yeah. But yep. being hosted by Qatar, uh, it's on in the uh, fall, the late fall here. And uh, so we might end up watching World Cup games. And yeah. I'm also... A different kind of football. Yes. Yeah. Well, what most of the world calls football, just not right. American football. Right. And uh, But I, I do enjoy the World Cup. Uh, so I do enjoy watching that. And also just want to... I'm very grateful and thankful I'm in charge of dessert uh, yes. this year for the family Thanksgiving. And so this will be potentially a, you know, I guess sort of a plug, uh, a mini, a mini commercial, <laughs> if you will, uh, for, you know, no label at the table, oh, our, yes. our local designated gluten-free, dairy-free, uh, bakery, uh, here in Carmel, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as my sons, as you know, they have, they have allergies, uh, they can't have any gluten, dairy or soy. And they've been that way for, like 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it's gotten a lot easier. Uh, yes. With the number Places of, like No Label at the Table did not exist 17 years ago. Right. And it's not easier in the sense of it's easier for them that they can't eat those things. It's <laughs> no. always kind of that, a bummer. That never gets easier. Yeah. It's always kind of a bummer for them, but easier in that it's much easier to find pretty decent product out there. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, super easy, you know, got on their website, a couple of clicks, dessert was done. Uh, so I'm very, I, so I'm just, I'm thankful. I am thankful <laughs> for bakeries, like no label at the table. Amen. So, Amen. So Shelly does a good job. She's, she's excellent. So, yeah. well, excellent. You know, uh, I imagine there will be some pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, what goes excellent with pie is coffee. Oh yes. Uh, and whether or not it's church coffee, you know, is, is really irrelevant because, you're listening to Church Coffee Pod, mm-hmm. where the theology is never watered down and the conversation keeps on flowing. As we approach Thanksgiving, uh, I don't, you know, there there is this uh, debate, uh, a very heated debate in many families, uh, of when it is appropriate to begin listening to Christmas music. Hmm. And uh, you know, for a lot of people. Thanksgiving is kind of that dividing line mm-hmm. and, and people get very upset if, if they hear Christmas music before Thanksgiving, um, some, you know, some more curmudgeonly think it needs to be even later, but I, I've got some bad news for all of the, uh, the later in the year people, we started Christmas hymnology already in the church. Yes, that is true. Today on the feast of the entrance, I noticed that the cut of yep. of Christmas were chanting yeah. at the Orthros. I was I was very I was very excited. It's very nice. I love that's those are beautiful hymns. Yes. Uh, and so we have already begun Christmas music in the church. Yes. And and uh, and of course, when our listeners are hearing this, we'll be into December. Yes. Uh, and so hopefully by then there will be there will be no illusions that we are not quickly approaching one of the great feasts of our church. 
And and that's our topic for today is is Christmas, the nativity of our Lord. And and really we're gonna focus on there are eight readings from the Old Testament that we do at the Vespers service uh, the night before on Christmas Eve. And, and we're going to look at those eight readings and what we learn about the coming of the Christ into the world uh, from those Old Testament readings. Yes. So, you know, we should introduce ourselves. I'm Father Gregory. Yes, we should. And I'm Father Bryce. Yes. And, you know, before we get into that real quick, I just have to share, you know, a story I remember uh, about the Caravasias of Christmas. So yeah. I think they're written... I hope I'm not wrong on this, by St. John of Damascus, or at least the, the there is the iambic ones, right? There's, so there's the two sets right. of Caravasias, both for Christmas and Theophany in the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the iambic ones are written in like more of like a very ancient Greek, kind of like a hmm. Homeric Greek. And uh, there's a story attributed to Papa Nicholas Planas, and, mm-hmm. you know, who's a very simple, very humble, but very yeah. pious saintly priest who celebrated liturgy for i don't know some like 50 some years or whatever without missing yeah. a single day right um, every day wow. and which is amazing and and yeah. he wouldn't just do liturgy he would do like paraclesis and and all the ser- services and i mean he would start in the church at eight in the morning and like finish at three in the afternoon yeah and in the yeah. summer and in, in athens they said his vestments would be like frothy uh <laughs> just because it can get really hot in there in the afternoon and oh, um man. But he was asked one time, well, what do you think about those iambic caravasias? And he goes, what, those Italian ones? Because uh, <laughs> he, he didn't quite understand them, I guess. Or he was just joking. Maybe yeah. he anticipated why someone was asking him that. I don't know. Right. Um, That's but, funny. But there you go. A little, uh, little liturgical humor to start us off. But yeah, so the, and eight readings for Christmas Eve mm-hmm. for the Vespers or the Vesperal Liturgy, whatever it may be. And um, symbolic, right? Yeah. I mean, you, so mean, you mean the number eight? Yes. So not just eight random readings like we just, we found all the readings we could find about this and it just happens to be eight. Right. Uh, because nothing is ever quite that random uh, nope. in the Orthodox liturgical world. Mm-hmm. But eight because of the eight days, the eighth day is the day of completion, the day of the resurrection, the day of new life. Mm-hmm. Seven days of creation, the eighth day is the new day. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one uh, I feel like doesn't get a lot of discussion time uh but but it's a it it's something that comes up in our hymn hymnology somewhat often and mm-hmm. and certainly in this like in this instance within the um kind of important numbers in the church yeah uh, so so the the eighth day being associated with resurrection and and kind of eternity and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god and of course that is related back to creation being a seven day, well, six days plus the day of rest mm-hmm. um, process. So, so that eighth day becomes that mystical uh, next event, um, and 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 we this gets reflected even in in kind of the whole of Bright Week, which is is Pascha every day, right? And. But you know what's fun is that this is like, it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say buried, but it's, so if you read through the law, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, for seven days, you shall do this, da, 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 you'll be unclean, and you'll be clean mm. on the eighth day. It just, yeah. keep, it keeps happening over and over and over, and then, and then it, because it finds its fulfillment then in Christ. Yeah, uh, like brings, so many things. Right. And so here's a fun thing before we launch into this too. 
So Father Bryce, I mean, there's a lot of talk right now, uh, nothing new. There's a lot of things going on in the world. Yeah. You still have this ongoing you know, war uh, in, in Ukraine that's taking mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. And, and other conflicts throughout the world. And, and then American politics always kind of gets people jazzed up and, yeah. and freaked out. And so there's a lot of talk now about the end times and uh-huh. we're close to the end times. We're close to the right. time of the antichrist and all this stuff. Yeah. And there's all kinds of prophecies that float around the internet attributed or maybe legitimately said by certain saints or certain elders or whatever of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just don't tend to take the time to track all that stuff down. Um, yeah. But when did the end time start? With, uh, at the crucifixion of Christ, well, if, I, if if we well, go with the uh, Shmaman, with the coming of Christ, yeah, uh, according to the Epistle of Saint John, yeah, right. So so almost like, and I I like to think from the moment Christ was incarnate, you know, in the womb of the Theotokos, mm-hmm. uh, the Virgin Mary, um, the end times began, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, so when someone says we're in the end times, you're like, yeah, we've been there for two thousand years, right, right, yep. Yeah, and, and we we often, you know, in, in the liturgy, we say, uh, we talk about Christ coming at the fullness of time. Yeah. Uh, we don't, you know, uh, there are different kind of philosophies of time. Uh, I, I think it often gets discussed, right, that, that the Greco-Roman world had kind of a cyclical vision of time, that everything that had happened had happened before and would happen again. And, and that there's this this um, opposed to that is kind of the the Judeo Christian view of time that is more linear and mm-hmm. kind of progressing into the kingdom, but but kind of layered on top of that is also this Orthodox view of time where the pinnacle of time is the the presence of Christ uh, on the earth, uh, and that kind of everything led up to that, mm-hmm. and everything since then points back to that yeah and we call that presence parousia yes from you know from the word paron right right? to be present to be manifest uh and so we talk about the two parousias Mm -hmm. there was even a translation of the liturgy i remember i can't remember who did it but it didn't translate parousias your two parousias uh, uh, or just left it as parousias. Yeah, because uh-huh. it was, it, it, I guess the translator just loved that word so much that. Sure. And, and everything right. that it contained in Greek. But, you know, the two comings, basically. Yeah. Right. Which is how it's typically translated now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. All right. So the, the first reading of the eight, Genesis 1, 1 through 13. Yes. So creation. Mm-hmm. But only the uh, first three days. But only the first three days. Uh, so, and I mean, why this would be here you know all of these readings are are in some way prophetic we we look at these readings and we see the presence of christ whose birth we are about to celebrate uh or really we we already have begun to celebrate even at the vespers service even if it's not the vesper liturgy um so so we see the presence of christ in each one of these readings uh and this one uh you know if if you kind of aren't are less familiar with orthodox theology or less familiar with the way that we read scripture uh this one would maybe be the more con- most confusing of them uh not only because well why does it stop after three days but because obviously christ is is not directly mentioned but of course uh in in the beautiful 
temple in in Carmel of the Holy Trinity. You look up and you see the the days of creation around below the uh, prophets in the dome, and who is the the very first image that you see in those days of creation, but the pre-incarnate Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because everything came to be through the Word, mm-hmm. um, so the Word is has always been. He's co-eternal with the Father, and yeah. so He's there present at creation, and all things are coming to be through. Uh, the word of God uh, in creation. So, and he is the light of the world. So you have the yes. creation of light. He's the light mm-hmm. of the world that's come into the world. And and there's probably a lot more we could say about that, but that's, I think that's kind of good for just kind of an intro of why that creation reading. Uh, yeah, kind of, right. I mean, God speaks, God creates by, by his word, right? right. I mean, it, it doesn't use the word word in Genesis one, but Mm-hmm. God speaks and things mm-hmm. happen. So we even see the presence of the word, the, mm-hmm. the spoken word of God uh, as the agent of creation. And maybe only the first three days, and this is speculation, but maybe only the first three days are listed, you know, kind of kind of a nod to the Trinity. Uh, yeah. There, the Holy Trinity, and, and the word obviously being the second person or hypostasis of the Holy Trinity. Yep. Um, and so the next one uh, is from Numbers. This one I enjoy mm-hmm. a lot uh, for many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the story of Balaam, you know, and he's mm-hmm. commissioned to curse uh, the Israelites as they're on their journey mm-hmm. uh, to the promised land. And, of course, there's a story before this where his donkey talks to him, which mm-hmm. I, always, I always enjoy that. Uh, Very enjoyable. Yeah. Yes. And... Um, and so I encourage people to read that numbers 24, 23, probably going back even before then. Yeah. Um, but in 24, you know, we have this, this little passage that's read at the, at the Christmas Vespers, uh, service. And, and it, what's interesting, first of all, is Balaam is not like, he's not an Israelite. Um, mm-hmm. he's not of the covenant people of God, if you will. Um, and yet it says the spirit of God came upon Balaam. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, the Spirit of God comes upon this pagan prophet mm-hmm. uh, who's been commissioned to curse Israel. Right. And he can't do it. Uh, right. He just blesses them. Uh, yeah. But then it gets down towards the end of that, that reading, and it says, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, mm-hmm. and shall smite the corners of Moab, destroy all the children of Sheth. Um, and you know, it kind of goes on, but that star of Jacob... Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously making connection to the star that the, w- that led the Magi, uh, to, to Judea, uh, and then ultimately to Bethlehem. Yeah. And, um, uh, so there's an interesting tradition that gets drawn up that the Magi are kind of descendants in some way of Balaam. Mm. Oh, you know, interesting. Kind of descendants in that tradition. Spiritual descendants. Yeah, so in other words, this tradition, this this understanding, the star shall come out of Jacob, they held on to that and looked forward to that. And then when the star appeared to them, then they were led by it to come worship him who is the son of righteousness, Ilios Tistikiosinis, which mm-hmm. is from the prophet Malachi, by the way, that phrase. Um, so some people think that's like kind of a reference to the fact that you know, there's this idea that Christmas replaced the worship of the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's scholars that refute that and say that's kind of an anachronism um, for various hmm. reasons. And 
Um, but but the Ilios Tistikiosinis is not referencing that at all. It's a passage from the prophets, uh, the son of righteousness. So right. So and also speaking to how God lead, can lead people through their own beliefs, you know, even though errant. Yes. To come worship Christ, to come know Christ in some way, and this is always kind of a the impetus for missionary work and how missionaries in the Orthodox tradition approach this. They. Mm-hmm. They came to different peoples and cultures with all kinds of different religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, uh, and they they kind of saw how God was preparing them, mm-hmm. even through those. Uh, yeah, to yeah, to I, receive Christ. Yeah, I think of um, uh, Father Nicholas Kasatkin, the the missionary to Japan, who went and lived in Japan, and for years and years and years never even had a single person come into his church and he would go and and spend time uh seeing what was going on in the the shinto temples and 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 the the religious life of the people who he was living with so that he knew how to talk to them about christ uh and and looking for what was good within the tradition they had uh c.s lewis has that famous quote that you know even uh god sent he says he calls them good dreams, even to the pagans, uh, you know, that, that there was there were inklings of that. And we see that, like you said, with with the Magi, with Balaam and and constantly throughout the Old Testament, you hear God saying so and so who is, you know, from a different mm-hmm. nation, my servant. Well, and even the most exaggerated or not exaggerated, kind of the like, shocking example of that is when he calls Nebuchadnezzar. Yep. His servant, yeah. to who's coming, who's coming to basically sack, you know, Judea and mm-hmm. and Jerusalem. Um, yep. So that's important to remember. We believe in one God, yes. who's the one God of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though they may not know Him fully or perfectly, and they may have many erroneous beliefs about Him, mm-hmm. uh, God can even use those beliefs to bring people to Him and to the truth. But at the same time, you know, affirming that that it's they sh- they're being called to the truth, yes. you know, because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, so that's, that's, there's a lot there again in that prophecy reading, but it's, it's really nice in many Absolutely. ways. And, and, you know, what a contrast talking about, uh, uh, it, was he, was he Metropolitan Nicholas Kasakin or, I mean, I know he's, he's I think he's celebrated as a saint in the church. Yeah. Um, he's celebrated as a saint, but I can't remember if he was up elevated to the, to I don't the remember what he or not. So, but but be that as it may, um, what a contrast to mm. how missions has been done in the recent past. Yes, especially by uh, Christianity out of the West. You know, yeah. not even trying to understand. Right. Uh, a lot of times, the people they're going to to share the gospel with. So and and, and maybe even disdaining. Yeah, coming with like an arrogance and a judgment. Um, yeah. And so we could we could really learn from these great missionary saints of the church in this way, yes. and and see how they're carrying on this tradition even from the Old Testament. Absolutely. Yeah. So so, so then so then that brings us to uh, reading from Micah, one of my one of my favorite prophets. Uh, kind of the most famous quote from from that prophecy from the prophecy of Micah is, you know, he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I, mm-hmm. I just, I love that. I think it's, it's such a great verse. We don't read that verse in the prophecy, but it's, 
it's you know part of a very short book of prophecy one of the one of the you know kind of in the west they get called the minor prophets the scroll um, of the 12 the scroll of the 12 um and this you know uh this is why uh when the magi come to herod and say uh, and and herod consults the religious leaders and says where is this messiah to be born they say bethlehem uh because of this prophecy from micah uh where where he says and you o bethlehem house of ephrathah though you are fewest in number uh out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler of israel Mm -hmm. uh and so so this is a prophecy um of of restoration a prophecy that that one would come to to change the 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 fortunes of israel uh you know a a lot of the prophets are they're either um addressing an israel who is about to be exiled but most of them are addressing an israel in exile and so so the prophets are either foretelling exile or or foretelling consolation uh to an israel in exile so this is in uh, a, a prophecy of comfort a prophecy of restoration and a prophecy of restoration by by this one, the, you know, the, the chosen one who is to come, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God who is to come. And this is, this is the reading um, where we're told that he will come out of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Bethlehem means house of bread too, I think. Uh, that could, you, that could I, be. Yeah. It's pretty I deep. bet, bet is house. I know that. Yeah, Beth. And I think Lechem, uh, but anyways, I'm not sure. Uh, so the, the next one is prophet Isaiah and, and the Isaiah is kind of more, I think, formally known, uh, yeah. as, you know, having kind of nativity, uh, prophetic readings, especially from like Handel's Messiah, um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is based off some verses from, uh, Isaiah. Yes. And, and in fact, one of the, one of the passages, one of the later passages yeah. that we read. Yeah. And yeah. And these passages don't necessarily follow in the chronological order of the prophets or of no. Uh, even of the books themselves, because this right. pro- this prophet for Isaiah is from chapter eleven, and those are come from an earlier uh, chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just the rod of Jesse. You know, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch mm-hmm. shall grow out of its roots. His roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him: the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And so, you know, and, and so on. So the rod of, you know, the root of Jesse, uh, Jesse being the father of David. So kind of making a di- kind of a direct reference to how the Messiah is the descendant of David, the, Dav- mm-hmm. the Davidic son. Um, someone even pointed out to me once kind of a nice connection, you know, in Theophany when God says, this is my son, my beloved, uh, agapitos, uh, mm-hmm. well in Hebrew or Aramaic, I guess, beloved is like Davidic. It's the same word. It comes like hmm. beloved comes from David. David comes from beloved. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a, another way of kind of saying almost like this is my Davidic son. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like this is, this is the Messiah. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, obviously uh, kind of there referencing yeah. that, that descendant of David, the root of Jesse, and then the spirit being mighty upon him, which we, again, we see in Theophany. Yes. Um, when the spirit, you know, comes in the form of a dove, it's often said, um, and the iconography captures this. You see John the Baptist actually looking at the dove, looking at the mm-hmm. spirit as it descends upon the one, because 
in one of the gospels it says you know you the one who you see the spirit come upon you know that right. is the one uh so right. it's almost which like, is told to john yeah it's almost like john is like baptizing and he, yeah he's preparing the people to receive the messiah but even in the sense of like just so the messiah will kind of be revealed Mm-hmm. Uh, in that sense, um, but but not fully right because then there's kind of that messianic secret uh, that's in the gospels right. where Jesus right. is like don't tell anyone you know I did this because yeah. it's not his time, yeah, um, and his time means the crucifixion. Right. Um, so, anyways, so here you have you know the the Davidic descendant upon whom the Spirit will rest. Yeah, uh, we should we probably mention. For those of you who don't know, that Jesse is the father of David. Right, 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 right. So, so to talk about Jesse is to talk about David. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, and then it kind of goes on a little bit, and it talks about the the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard yeah. shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, mm-hmm. and a little child shall lead them. Mm-hmm. There's a great painting, I think, done by a Russian artist, just depicting oh. this. Mm. Like a little child kind of leading all of these wild, ferocious kind of creatures, you know, mm-hmm. uh, capturing this prophecy. And and the cow yeah. and the bear shall feed, and the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. Yeah. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And for yeah. the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, you know, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an sign of the people to it. Shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Yeah. So the whole prophecy reading there, I mean, just this is what this is why the Messiah comes. This is the messianic kingdom. Yeah. Uh, bringing peace, the Prince of Peace, which we'll read later. Um and, um, you know, the knowledge, bringing the full knowledge of the Lord and spreading it all over the whole earth. Right. And I, I think it's, it's such a beautiful, it's, this is, I love this reading. And, and it, when it says the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, it doesn't, you know, we, we, we can become very anthropocentric in our understanding of salvation. Um, and of course that that's a huge part of God's plan of salvation, but but this vision encompasses all of creation, that all of creation, every creature will be filled with the peace of the Lord, that the lion will eat straw, that the asp, like one of the, one of the, you know, kind of the serpent is, is always associated with evil. I mean, from, from Genesis, the serpent is associated with evil and the asp is a particularly, you know, it's, it's, it's a dangerous, yeah. Poisonous. So dangerous, venomous. It's it's a creature that would have always been associated with evil, and they're saying the child will be able to reach his hand into into its den and and play, you know, and and so everything will be restored to the peace and to the to the knowledge of God. And I it's I I love this passage. It's so beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot there going on. It kind of comes towards the middle of the prophecy readings, being the fourth one. Yeah. And then we we come into uh, a reading uh, in in Didi's text. It, it's announced as a reading from the prophecy of Jeremiah. Uh, but if you go to look it up in your Bible, uh, you would find it under Baruch. Um, Baruch was was uh, Jeremiah's scribe, and and so that we have kind of 
uh, in in the Orthodox and Catholic Bibles, we have a little bit more uh, of Jeremiah's prophecies than in in your typical uh, Western Bibles or in the in a Protestant Bible. So this is from that part that we we label Baruch, uh, and and again, it's it's another prophecy about the Messiah. It is um, a a very I mean a, a very strong prophecy uh and it 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 says uh that god's servant or maybe even god will be seen on the earth and live among men uh so so very very prophetic about not only that the messiah will come but but the nature of the messiah who the messiah is and and more about his nature than than we get in some of the other readings um and then uh there's this interesting and i don't, I don't know what the how the translation that you have reads uh father gregory but uh it, there's this interesting change so it says he was seen upon the earth and lived among men and then it says she is the book of the commandments of god and the law that endures forever and so you have um kind of this vision that that this servant of God will walk on the earth and that he will bring the commandments almost in this personified form um, and that it then says all those who keep her the wis- the the wisdom the commandments of God all those who keep her will live and those who forsake her will die so there's both this this prophecy about who will come and who he is the Messiah the servant of God um, but also what he brings. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we, we know that Christ fulfills the law, but not in order to do away with it, mm-hmm. but to, to reveal it most perfectly um, and, and that, that we can follow in, in that way. Yeah, Christ in one of the epistles of Paul, I think is called the wisdom and power of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, of course, you know, just to point out, like we are saying, she doesn't have so much to do with biological sex there as it just does with gender and language, right? Uh, of course, because the word wisdom is uh, feminine, right? Uh, in Greek and and maybe even I mean I don't I don't know how it works in Hebrew, but um, I believe it is I believe it's feminine in Hebrew, but I'm not a hundred percent. But that's sure. just gender and gender originally just had to do with language and male and female. Uh, had to do with in, in the biologic biological sense was is something other and people get often get those very confused especially because we don't have um kind of genders that we think about in the english language today that they have right, to not, think about in other languages like greek or or german or russian or whatever yeah so right um so the next one is from uh prophet uh daniel mm-hmm. um and so, yeah, it kind of gets into, again, back to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. Uh, and it gets back into his dream. And it talks about this huge image, you know, this kind of giant uh, image that it describes in chapter two. Mm-hmm. You know, the head of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet of iron and part of clay. Mm-hmm. And he says, and a stone that was cut without hands. So, yeah, the uncut stone. Mm-hmm. you know so to speak and it smotes the image yes upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces 
And then mm -hmm. was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Mm -hmm. And so this is often understood to be like these different, like the gold and the brass, and they're like different kingdoms throughout right. throughout history of the world, at least in that part of the world. And um, the last one is kind of the Roman Empire, uh, and it kind of becomes brittle, and the the rock is Christ. You know, He is the mm -hmm. rock, and uh, and and the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, and and maybe even the church, if you will, is is the mountain that grows throughout the whole earth, mm -hmm. uh, or it's called to grow throughout the whole earth, and um, and and you know, we'll kind of. Uh, you know, the, the pre, you know, they kind of talking about the timing of the coming of the Messiah and the preaching of the gospel throughout the whole world and the end of this kind of, uh, beast, this big statue, this big image, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of seeing the end of the Roman empire in that way, which is interesting to think about, uh, on many yeah. levels because, uh, there definitely was people that saw themselves as the continuation of the Roman empire. Uh, yeah. yes, there was. So that, that's kind of Several. fun fun yeah. to think about in that sense I, uh, I found it interesting that this passage is actually referenced in the hymns for saint matthew mm -hmm. and and of course we we celebrate saint matthew on the day after the beginning of the nativity fest yeah so i i, I thought that was fun you know this this reading that is obviously so obviously associated with with christ uh and and is used in in the services for the nativity uh, gets referenced in these hymns for the for the saint that we celebrate on the on the second day of the the fast. Yeah, well, it's always making a connection, you know, the, a lot of the hymnology that way. Yeah, uh, which we referenced to in the beginning. You know, we're starting to chant the Catavasias of Christmas on this yeah. feast of the entrance of the Theotokos yep. on November twenty one, uh, and the, but you know also the uncut mountain, so the rock. Mm -hmm cut without mm -hmm. hands obviously kind of a reference to the virgin birth mm -hmm. of christ you know without without the seed of a man without the right. help of man in that sense right um so kind of making yep. a reference to the virgin birth in that way too for the coming of the messiah yes yeah and then and then we return for the last for the final two readings we're back in isaiah uh and uh as you referenced uh handel's messiah this this seventh reading is um, the the reading that there's the famous at least you know one of the famous parts of the Messiah is is taken from this reading in Isaiah chapter nine for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders he will be called angel of great counsel uh, prince of peace you know all these different titles that we we use for the Messiah. Um, because of this prophecy in Isaiah. Uh, and of course, um, you know, angel of great counsel does not mean, uh, refer to his nature, uh, that he is an angel, uh, oh, but, yeah. but refers to what the word angel means, which is messenger. So he is the messenger of great counsel. He brings the counsel of God to earth. Right. Um, well, that's interesting so, to think about, too, because that word counsel in English means a lot of different things. Yeah. But vuli, you know, uh, I think is the Greek word. So it's this okay. idea of like the divine counsel, you know, uh -huh. and, and so kind of like a deliberation. Think of like a meeting, you know. Yeah. 
but the great council is is the kind of the i guess the final word from on high yes you know of that council which is god himself and so he is the messenger of the great council uh Mm -hmm. in that way uh Mm -hmm. so uh yeah fascinating to think about and then the eighth one isaiah 7 and and 8 a little bit and we'll list all of these readings in the description so people can go and read them themselves Mm-hmm. Um, but just talking about that verse, that famous verse, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his mm-hmm. name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, uh, butter and honey shall he eat and that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her Kings and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. kind of referencing the virgin shall conceive again, the, the virgin birth. Yep. Um, I know there's lots of people that debate this. The Greek is yeah. Parthenos, which is obviously the word for a virgin or a young unmarried woman. Mm-hmm. The Aramaic word, I think, is uh, Alma, if I'm yes. not mistaken. And people yeah, say, well, so. that doesn't necessarily mean virgin. But uh, our Old Testament professor, Father Penuk, as I recall, kind of made this point of it. It, it also just means like a young unmarried like like woman it's implied right uh, by that term i mean yes right. technically doesn't mean that but it's certainly implied uh, right. by the term so i think a lot of times when people try to make a point out of that it's kind of much ado about nothing yeah uh, you're you're really splitting hairs and you you really you, you a, really want it to not mean virgin yeah you have you have you have an agenda there uh yeah. so uh and you know so but yeah so this is this is the last reading and it's kind of the most obvious and maybe that's why even though it's from earlier in isaiah chapter 7 8 and 8 yeah um little little spatterings from 7 and 8 it's uh just that last that last kind of final punch that statement the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you're kind of finishing the old testament readings then and getting Mm -hmm. ready to go into the the new testament readings for the service Mm -hmm. the epistle and gospel uh which are going to kind of more uh, obviously proclaim that. So yeah, it's interesting. You know, we were kind of talking that these don't really follow in in order of of writing or the the order that you would find them in in the Old Testament. You know, even go the the readings from Isaiah go from chapter eleven to chapter nine to chapter seven and eight. Um, but it does kind of seem like maybe the order is more and more clarity about who is being prophesied yeah i think so i think it's it's yeah like you said more and more clarity or it's it's kind of through the reading of the texts giving you the sense as you hear them because that's what they're you know they were read in a liturgical setting they're meant to be heard right and so as you the hearer uh are listening to these texts it's just like the the coming of the messiah itself through the through the spoken and heard word yeah in yeah. that way yeah very cool yeah well we did we got one question yes was i was thrilled to see uh in in the in the uh, church coffee pod inbox one question from one of our listeners uh asking what does orthodoxy teach about the magi in addition to their very brief appearance in the bible uh and the the reader mentions that they've heard a legend uh, that maybe St. Thomas, who uh, is supposed to have uh, been the missionary to India, mm-hmm. uh, so th- there, there's a legend that maybe St. Thomas met uh, one of the Magi 
in India or or on his way out mm-hmm. to India because of course the magi come from the east. Yes. Yes. Um well we have there's traditional names for the magi. Right, Caspar, Balthazar and Melchior. Yeah, sounds, like that. Sounds pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Melchior, I think. Melchior, that sounds more like a name. Yeah. Now what's fun is that we don't have these details from scripture, but in the iconography there's a point being made. One is often depicted as being kind of youngish. Mm-hmm. The other one is kind of middle-aged and the other one is old. Mm. And that's captured by the length and color of their beards. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> and uh, so I guess the older you get in the ancient world, the longer and more white your beard becomes. Uh, of course. Of course. you're not trimming it or anything. <laughs> and um, uh, obviously capturing that Christ comes to save the young, you know, the middle-aged and the old. Mm-hmm. Uh, all together representing all the spans of, of people's life. Um, and so we kind of alluded earlier to this idea about how the Magi, you know, they were, they were like Zoroastrian basically, or right. um, they worship the stars and the hymns right. reference that and the Apolitiki of Christmas, those who worship yeah. the stars were taught by a star to worship you, the son of righteousness. Yeah. Uh, so they're not of Israel. Um, there is that other part we talked about, I referenced earlier about potentially being spiritual descendants in some way of Balaam, mm-hmm. uh, the prophet, um, and carrying on that tradition, and especially with the the star of Jacob mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. Um, and I don't know. There's I I feel like there's probably more about them in tradition. I'm not as familiar. I haven't read a whole lot about it. No, me neither. I I do feel like you often um, though they are all you know described as coming from the east uh in some of the iconography they are uh depicted with different skin tones and there's kind of this idea that they came from different that they didn't journey together that they kind of were all led from different parts of the world um to to journey to to offer these gifts unto the to the king but but I, I just kind of that also depends on, you know, what who who the iconographer is, and and I don't really know um, where that tradition comes from. Right. So I mean, here just looking up a few things. Oh, and we should talk about the three gifts. Obviously, very symbolic: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Of course, which which gets referenced in the hymns as well. Why, right. why those gifts? Right, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because gold. Uh, he's he's king. You know, mm-hmm. frankincense. He's God, uh, and right. uh, which is which incense, right? Right, I incense, mean, and then yeah. myrrh because you know he was to die, right? Uh, Preparation myrrh, for his burial. Yeah, myrrh being one of the spices for burial, uh, and then there is a tradition out there that they were baptized actually by the apostle Thomas. Oh, very so, cool. So you know, basically that would be yeah, I mean, that would make sense. Um, you know, where he comes, if he's going out in that direction, they had come to worship Christ just as a small child, but obviously wouldn't know the rest of the story mm-hmm. unless it had been carried to them, and it is being carried to them by one of the apostles. Yeah, um, and we, we have examples in, in, in Scripture of people who uh, were disciples of John the Baptist mm-hmm. and then went out, you know, like the Magi would have gone out after having having worshipped Christ as an infant, and and then Paul baptizes them uh, in the in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so 
you know, we have this example of people who were prepared by an event uh, earlier who then receive Christ's baptism later on by by missionary activity. Yeah. And so another interesting thought, too, you know, if you if you follow the gospel strictly, uh, the Magi, I think, are talked about in Matthew's gospel, and they come to see uh, Jesus yeah. at the when he's at the house. Right. Uh, right. Not not in the manger. Right. And then whereas in, in Luke's gospel, I don't know that they're mentioned at all. Uh, and and obviously Luke is more focused on on just the actual events with the shepherds and the angels and, right. and whatnot around kind of the birth in the manger in that way. Um, of course, the manger itself is a reference to food, to Christ as food, because that was the that was the feed trough. Basically, yeah. that's what a manger was. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's being put in there as food. I remember some poor little children in, in one parish I was serving because there's this icon of the nativity and the donkey and the ox are kind of leaning over the food trough, looking at Jesus in their trough. And one of the children was concerned that, you know, <laughs> they're not going to eat baby Jesus, are they? I was like, no, 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 no. Because Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, the ox knows its master, the donkey, its owner. You know, so there don't you worry. Go. They know who he is. <laughs> they're not going to do anything to him. And, right. um, and the ox and the donkey being representing uh, Israel the, and, the, yeah. and the Gentiles. Right, correct, exactly. Um, and then what else they wanted to say about that? Um, so they come a little bit later, I mean, because it's ascertained from Herod that uh, Jesus may have been up to two years old. Right, at right, that which, point, is, which we see because on, he has all of the, all of the young uh, male infants two years and under. right killed in in that region and then the last thing is that the star is not an astronomical event like sometimes i remember people when i was growing up i remember people trying to make that point like it was the like it's when jupiter and and saturn united uh-huh. in the sky yeah. and yeah i've heard all that. this kind of stuff but saint john chrysostom very clearly is like what kind of star is this like it yeah. moves this direction it appears right. it disappears it reappears right <laughs> you know it's like this isn't a star uh and so it's other kind of like the uncreated divine light appearing as a star i've Mm -hmm. seen a depiction an artistic depiction not orthodox but kind of showing it as kind of like an angelic being Mm -hmm. uh radiating light to the point where the magi would have just seen it as a star um Mm -hmm. and and kind of guiding them in that way uh so uh, not so much directly to deal with the magi themselves but you know kind of talking about the tradition around that yeah. And kind of good to know that stuff. So, yeah, there's all kinds of very interesting and beautiful traditions surrounding uh, the all of the aspects of the nativity. And we see we can learn so many of these things through the iconography and the hymnology of the church. And mm-hmm. and there's all there's a lot to to really dig into, uh, as we see, even just from looking at these prophecies that are read at the Vesper service. So you know, it, it's definitely a, a worthwhile activity to sit down with the text of the Vespers, with the text of the Orthros, with the hymns that surround uh, this this feast, and and learn about uh, you know the teachings of the Church uh, of of the significance of what's happening on this day, and 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 the the these little extra uh, you know kind of small t theologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we learn about about the the events surrounding this, you know, most momentous of births. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
So, and now, you know, next, I mean, there's a lot more we could say about this topic. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with that. Um, next month, uh, our topic is going to be the Divine Liturgy. Uh, yeah. So questions uh, from for January, uh, you know, anything about the Divine Liturgy. So where, where can they send those questions or where can they, where can they? Yeah, you, you can uh, email any questions that you have to churchcoffeepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, churchcoffeepod at gmail.com. Or even better, we haven't had anybody take advantage of this yet, but we would love to have a voicemail from you that we can play on the podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 317-660-5498. Thank you for listening to Church Coffee Pod. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a review. Make sure to tell your friends that church coffee isn't so bad after all. God bless. Thank you.